awesome is that? This morning, I want to challenge you to, first of all, read God's Word and learn to enjoy it. If you don't have a version of the Bible that you enjoy reading, get a new Bible. That one that you have that is special because someone gave it to you, you can still keep that one. But get one that blesses you. Get one that touches you and that you can't wait to read. If that hap- if that's a children's Bible, a children's story Bible to start with, because mine was, my Bible that's all underlined and everything from children's church scriptures, children's church sermons, is a children's living Bible. But I had that Bible until I was about 17 years old, and uh, I wouldn't take for that Bible. It's precious to me. But it's not the one I use now. And so if you're looking for a recommendation, we'd be happy to talk to you about, uh, you know, and help you find a good Bible. But if you don't love the Word, then it's something you need to make a goal in your life. You need to say, why don't I love the Word? Well, I really haven't read it. I guarantee you that's the answer. Because if you've read the Bible, if you've devoted yourself to it every day, you will love it. Because it makes your life so much better. But today, John 4, um, and I know I always read so much, and I'm sorry, but to get the full impact of this story, I want us to read it. And it's that Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. And just as our story today was about the good Samaritan, that's what we know it as in Sunday school, where Jesus shares helping our neighbor and who that is. The reason that the significance of this being a Samaritan man is because um, Jews were divided into two different groups. After King Solomon died, the Jews, um, the Jews, they, that stayed, they went, they, excuse me, the Jews in Judea were the, the, uh, that's where the Jews stayed. That's where they lived. That was where Jerusalem was. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that they were supposed to go. They were instructed to go to Jerusalem to worship. So that's the, those are the devout ones. And then Israel is where the Samaritans are from, and that's an area. And what they did was because of the division, they just worshiped God in high places. You'll read in the Bible about high places where they built an altar and here and there. And then good kings would come, and you'd hear them say they, teared, they tore down the high places It's because they weren't supposed to have those high places to begin with. They were supposed to go to the temple to worship. So Jews and Samaritans were very, very opposed to one another. Jews looked down on Samaritans for not coming to Jerusalem to worship. And Samaritans looked down on Jews for being so judgmental. And so that just gives you the story. And it was a a deep, deep prejudice. It's not like you go... Tomato, tomato. What's, it's not like that. It was a deep, deep prejudice that they had against one another. So when you hear about Jesus saying it was a Samaritan man, he's t- talking to the Jews. And so he's telling the Jews, yes, you even need to help a Samaritan. And so Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman was extremely odd. Number one, she was a woman. Number two, she was Samaritan. This made this a really rare occurrence. So uh, chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Excuse me. 
Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. I like this lady because she's very practical, and and I tend to be very literal. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst indeed. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go back to your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must now worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, as has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that you're the Messiah. I'm sorry, he said, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asks, what do you want, or why were you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him to eat. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. And then later in verse 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I want for us to look at this story. Verse 10 through 15 is about him offering her the water. And I want to, I want to read, um, what the scripture says in verse 14, what it says in the Living Bible. 
It says, but the water I give you, he said, becomes a perpetual spring within them, watering them forever with eternal life. So when Jesus, when we accept Jesus into our hearts, he becomes like a spring that bubbles up inside of our soul. And it gives us eternal life. And that's the water that he was talking of. And like I said, she was a very practical and a very literal person. So she's she's thinking, I, I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but other parts of the world and third world countries where they don't have running water, it is a huge percentage of their time that's spent getting water and hauling it back home. Some children, I mean, that's their job from the time that they can walk. They're hauling water back and forth from a water source to their home. And so this woman, I mean, for her to not have to come back to this well, that would that would just be like someone telling you and I, okay, you push this button and all of your housework and laundry are done. And how many of us would have wanted that? And so Jesus... <laughs> So Jesus is telling, you know, he is telling her this is far greater than your practical need. This is your soul. This is eternal life. This is living water. When Jesse was a baby, when he was, when he was very young, we began to understand, you know, how his mind worked. And I realized that I was going to have to be very careful how I worded things because he was so literal. And uh, one time, you know, and we would always, you know, clap and applaud, you know, when we would get excited, you know, when they were really young. And so at one point, you know, he did something and he was really proud of himself. And he said, shut your hands, mama, shut your hands. I don't even know what that means. I said, show me, show me what, shut your hands. Well, he was telling me to clap. But, you know, if you think about it, literally, we are shutting our hands. <laughs> and so and I would tell him to wipe his feet, and he would say, rub your feet off. And so and, and uh, so he was very literal. This lady is very literal, and she's wanting something tangible that's going to change her life. But Jesus is saying, what I'm going to give you is so much more. What I'm capable is so much more than just your practical need for water to drink and wash your hands and cook with. And Jesus is that way to you and I today. We think when we pray, we're telling him our needs. That's why in the model prayer, we say, thy will be done on earth. Because God's purpose and his idea for things is so much greater than what we think. We think we need this. And God says, oh, no. I'm not going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. And he just opens things up. And everything about God is multifaceted. We think and we see things as a sliver of pie. And he sees things as a grand answer. Not just a tiny little sliver or facet. So Jesus said in verse 14, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. He's talking about satisfying our soul. He's talking about us not needing things of this world, about how that when he satisfies our soul, we don't have to look everywhere to be happy. I think it's so amazing that people still don't understand in this world. Just recently, a a star, a young man, I'd never seen him, didn't know who he was, but apparently he was very popular, but he committed suicide. And he seemingly had everything. And we say this over and over again about how that he had fame, he had fortune, he had anything that he wanted, and yet he wasn't satisfied. 
Things don't satisfy us. Career goals and ambitions and obtaining to the level that we think if we could just get there, we'd be happy. Or if our children would just do this, we'll be happy. Or if I only had that, I would be happy. Those things don't satisfy us. And yet, the empty world walks around still thinking that those things are going to fulfill their heart. Jesus said that I'll give you living water. And that living water satisfies our thirst. And it doesn't matter what kind of car we drive or what kind of house or home we live in. It doesn't matter uh, what we have. If we have Jesus, we can be happy. Psalm 103.5 says, Praise ye the Lord who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Um, there, there's so much to all of these scriptures that I'd love to go into, but I know we we don't have time today. But Jesus wants to satisfy us with what he has, with him living in our hearts, with who he is. He wants to completely quench all of the desires and the thirsts that we have in this world. The things that maybe because of the way that we were brought up, We behave a certain way, and we think, you know, I've got to prove myself. You don't have to prove yourself to Jesus. Or if we say to ourselves, if I could just do this, if I could just accomplish this, and we struggle and we struggle and we strive, and Jesus says, no, just cast your care on me. You don't have to struggle. Cast your care on me because I care for you. And let me bear your burden. Let me carry the heavy load. That's what I want to do for you. The water of life was what Jesus was longing to give this woman. He wanted to satisfy her soul, not just her physical needs. She wanted what Jesus was offering, didn't she? She said, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty again. Your neighbors, friends, family, co-workers, they want what you have. They need what you have. If they only knew that you have a peace that passes understanding, if they only knew that when things were going really badly in your life, you turn to Jesus and he gives you peace, even though everything around you seems horrible. If your neighbors, your coworkers knew you had this, they would want it. We need to tell them. If the people that you think don't want a relationship with you, maybe people that, you know, are outside of your circle, people of different ethnicities, people of different cultures, those that you're in contact with, if they knew what you had, they would want you to tell them. In verses 16 through 18, Jesus starts revealing who this woman is to her. Just like God, when when God went to Adam and Eve in the garden, he revealed their nakedness. God went to them and, and he said, why are you hiding? And God went to this woman and he told her all of her private things. Growing up, they used to say he read her mail. He knew everything about her. And God knows everything about us too. Did that stop Jesus from offering himself to her? It didn't. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows your failures. 
He knows the things you're ashamed of. He knows the things you're proud of. And he wants to be living water to you too. He wants to change your life and satisfy the desires of your heart. He's saying to you today, just like he was saying to that woman by going to her just where she was, just at that moment in time. He was saying, you don't have to clean up to come to me. Just come. And you know what? He feels that way about your friends and neighbors and family members and coworkers too. If you think, well, I can't invite them to church or I can't, you know, I got to get them past this point. I have to, I have to make, you know, they can't bring them in right now. They don't smell too great. Bring them in stinky. <laughs> bring them in sweaty. Go and minister to them where they are. Jesus is the lover of our soul. That's what he was saying to this lady by saying, look. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He knew that and yet he offered himself to her. He offered to satisfy her soul. He didn't say, okay, you need to repent and you need to clean yourself up and behave yourself now because you're not, you don't have a very good reputation. And as soon as you get to this level, then I'm going to give you something that's going to satisfy your soul for all eternity. He didn't do that. He loved her right then, right where she was, right in the middle of her mess. She was living with a man who wasn't her husband. She was, in that day, far worse shape than someone in that shape today. I want to ask you something. Are you satisfied? Could that be why we don't share? Because we ourselves are not drinking and consuming the water that Jesus has for us. Abiding in the Lord is how we're satisfied. It's We're going to talk about it in a minute, but I, I mentioned a moment ago about reading his word and loving his word. To spend time with God and pray and meditate on his word is how we abide in him. The word says if we abide, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you'll ask what you'll, you will and it will be done. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and our prayers aren't answered. Now I ask you today, are you abiding in the Lord? Is he on your mind? Are we thinking about how we're going to strategize our finances constantly? Are we thinking about that more than we're thinking about the word and God saying, I'll be your provider, I'll take care of you. I'm the bread of life. In verses 19 through 24, she drinks the water. She believes. She realizes who he is. She says that, I know you're a godly man. So she could only imagine in her mind and in her experience that must mean he was a prophet. So then she starts clarifying the differences between she and Jesus. She says, okay, wait a minute now. Remember... Mister, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And you know what? Your friends and family and co-workers and loved ones and neighbors, they might be different denominations than you. They might not go to this church. They might not belong to this church. They may be a different religion even. Maybe they don't even worship the same God that you worship. Maybe they're not the same race that you are. Maybe they're not the same social class. 
But Jesus came so that we can all worship in spirit and in truth, he said. So this lady starts telling Jesus about their differences. And I'm telling you that the people that we go to, that we need to tell about the well, we need to tell about the living water, those people may be different than we are too. And that's okay. For too long, the church has seen itself as glamorous and too glamorous for those who need the well from our, the water from our well. Jesus said, or Isaiah said about Jesus in, in Isaiah 61, and I, I know I read this every time I preach, but if we don't get this, we've got nothing to stand on. And this is that Jesus came for the brokenhearted. He came for the ugly. It says he came to give beauty for ashes. He came for the poor, for those in prison, for those who are in debt, for those who are sad and mourning. Jesus came for those who repulse us. Jesus came for those that we're disgusted with. Jesus came to save them, to lift them up, to give them eternal life and living water, just like he came to do it for you and I. We're not good enough to receive Jesus' gift. We might clean up well and we might smell okay, but we're still not good enough. I have often thought on the best day of my life, when I thought I did pretty good, I'm still not worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy to come up here and take communion and remember the Lord's body and his blood. I'm not worthy to be able to say, Father, and him to say, yes. I'm not worthy to be to to call myself a Christian because I fail. I fail big. And I'll never be perfect. I can be perfect in Jesus. And I can try hard and I do. There was a lady once that uh, I dealt with in a, another city where we lived and we were youth pastors and um I was working in a job outside the church at the time. And this lady was such a mess. I mean, she looked beautiful. But her life, honestly, she would qualify for the woman at the well. Her, her story was very similar to this lady's story. And I had ministered to her and I'd spent a ton of time with her. And I was just kind of, at the end, I just thought, I've really kind of done, I've given you all I've got. I mean, for months I tried to talk and minister and I thought, you know, you just need to be in the presence of the Lord. Come to church with me. Would you come to church with me? Come to the late service. Sleep in on Sunday and come to the late worship service. Do you know what she told me? What she told me is the first time I'd ever heard it in my life. And it was like a wasp ding to my heart. She said, I don't have the right kind of clothes to go to your church. I was devastated. I said, you don't have to dress up to come to our church. She said, oh, yes, I do. I know your church. And we were, I didn't, I'd never thought of it. I'd never considered it. It had never crossed my mind. But I began to really see that we were kind of snobby. And we really were, you know, we thought we were at a level and you needed to be up here. 
I tried my hardest to, to dress David. He was on the platform every Sunday. And uh, someone told me one time, <laughs> and they were disgusted when they said it. I thought it was a compliment. But they told me <laughs> that I dressed David like a banker, not like a preacher. <laughs> you know, I didn't put those big old huge handkerchiefs in his pocket with all the ends sticking out. and You know, um, you know. And I, like I said, you know, at the time, I thought, well, thank you. And then re- later I realized that they weren't complimenting me <laughs> or David. But how we dressed was so important and how we looked and how, you know, everything. I still remember going to a convention and a lady in our church gave me a ring to wear while I was at convention. And I thought. You know, this little one my mom and dad gave me when I graduated from high school. It seemed fine. I liked it. <laughs> but she wanted me to look fancy. She wanted me to look like I belonged. <laughs> if you're a living, breathing soul, you belong in this church. And if you don't feel that way, please pray and ask God to help you. I think that our church should be diverse, just like If we go three miles down the road, this is not what it looks like three miles down the road. God wants us to minister to people of races, uh, different races and different cultures and different ethnicities and different beliefs. He wants you to minister to the Buddhists and the Hindus in the stores in our town and minister to all of those that we come in contact with. Verse 25 and 26 says she wants to share her new life. I was told one time by someone who was not a Christian, someone who worshipped in a Middle Eastern culture. And I told him what I said. I said, I know you're an intelligent person and you're very educated and chances are you know this already. But I want to share what I believe with you. Do you? Would that, is that okay? And I shared the gospel really simply and really plainly. I mean, I could have been sharing it in children's church. This man had a Ph.D., but I still kept it very simple. And he said, thank you. He said, the most loving thing anyone can do is share their faith with another person. And I'm telling you, I was nervous doing it. <laughs> I was, you know, really uncomfortable and I didn't want to offend him. And But I wanted him to know because he had shared his faith with me. I knew his story. He said the most loving thing a person can do is share their faith. I thought that was, and that's what this lady did. This lady went back to her people. She left Jesus. She went back to her town and she told her story. Now I want for you to think about this lady. First of all, she's a woman. She has very little credibility, no matter what her history was. Just being a woman at that time, in that part of the world, she had no credibility. Not only did she not have any credibility because she was a woman, but she was a woman with a bad reputation. So if you don't feel qualified to share the gospel, this woman was completely unqualified. But because she was so excited and so convincing because of her personal story, what happened? The people of her town followed her out to the well. 
And they also believed in Jesus that day. And I love what they said. They they said, first we believed because of you. Now we've seen for ourselves. And Christians, that's our goal, is for them to... For us to spark an interest in them by our testimony, our example, our belief, by our story. And tell them, when you're telling your story, you can say, look, I am not perfect. You will, you probably are well aware of that. If they know you very well, they, they're probably on to that already. But you can just tell them, you know, I'm not perfect, but this is, this is what happened to me. Jesus has come into my heart. He's changed my life so that now I have a friend to go to any time my heart is overwhelmed, any time that I'm in trouble. I know that God hears me, and he gives me peace. Jesus said of himself, he said that doing the will of the Father, the disciples wanted him to eat. He said, I have food that you don't even know about. And he said... He said, doing the will who sent me and to finish his work is my food. And I want you to know that when you help people, when you share your story, when you minister in Jesus' name to those who you're in contact with, no matter who they are, it is like it is satisfying to your soul. It's like food is to your body. It nourishes you. You know, you can be, you can go without food for so long and you can feel weak and shaky. Have you ever done that? Get sweat across your brow because you just need to eat. Your, your body needs something. And you know what? Sharing the word, sharing your life with Christ, with others, is like food when you need it like that. It satisfies you. It brings you up. It strengthens you. It makes you excited. And it just sustains your being just like food nourishes your body. I believe that the government has assumed the role of the church in feeding people and taking care of the needy and taking care of the the church is supposed to take care of orphans, widows, poor. That's our job. But I feel like the government has taken that over and we are we're missing the blessing that's ours because we don't see needy people in America so to speak not not like you do in other countries but we need to be looking for opportunities to minister just like Jesus he saw this woman she needed him and god knows you need him and so do your friends and neighbors so what will you do with this story now You've heard the good news. You know Jesus loves you. You know Jesus loves your neighbors. Will you save your city like this lady saved hers? Will you share the Lord with your people, whoever that is, the people that you're in contact with at work, at the grocery store, wherever you are? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, every time Jesus told a story about the Samaritans, it was to challenge us to go out of our way to help people who aren't like us. I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate people with needs to us 
And I ask, Lord, that you would put in our hearts a desire and a burning will to go and share you with our people, to minister to you, Lord, by ministering to those people. And, Father, I know that you're true to your word, and I know, Lord, that you will do what you said you'll do, and that is that you'll satisfy us with eternal life, and you'll quench our thirst. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.